Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time again to talk real estate. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving the market today to find the best solutions going forward. And today, I think he's got some solutions for us. Maybe it's somebody sounds like they got some solutions here today. Yeah, good morning, Paul. Thanks. Uh, we're back here again. We're going to try and find some solutions. And if we can't find them, we're going to make them up, I think. So <laughs> I'm excited for today's show. We have a great guest with us today. But before we get going, I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties. And one thing that I've learned in my 30 plus years uh, in doing this, it is to look at both sides of the equation and try and come up with the best solution. And so we're going to try and do that today. Before we get started, I do want to do a shout out to all of the uh, folks who work for the airlines, the flight attendants, the pilots, uh, everybody at the airports. We have exciting news that took place today where you don't have to wear a mask, at least in the U.S., at least for today until somebody maybe changes it. Hopefully not. But thank you for all you folks do and in, in making our lives a little bit easier as we travel. So with that said, I want to welcome our guest, Jenny Ray LaRue, who is a Republican candidate for governor of California, which is exciting amongst itself. Nothing could be bigger relative to real estate market and every Californian out there other than uh, what happens at the top in Sacramento. So Jenny, Jenny, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So it's exciting that we're here in uh, April and we're thinking about November. I feel like we just dealt with this uh, not too long ago and we're back at it again. It seems exactly like that. But to me, really nothing could be more important to what happens in, in terms of the direction of the state going forward. And so before we get started, I got all kinds of stuff I want to ask you about. But in terms of your history, and, and where you come from. I know you've been involved with a number of different companies, but share with our viewers around and how you got to where we are today. Sure. Well, I have had great career, 20 years in business. I have a bachelor's in economics from the University of Virginia, and I got an MBA from Columbia Business School. I went to business school because I really wanted to focus my career on real estate. So I have a corporate side of what I do, but I also have a real estate investing side. So I'm really excited to talk about that aspect with you today. My 10 years in corporate began at Bain Consulting, mm -hmm. and I worked with 11 different companies in 10 different industries. I worked with government organizations, and really my focus was on growth, how to use analytics and problem solving to unlock growth for organizations. And then the most recent 10 years, I've spent building a company. I bought it 10 years ago as a small company, and I've grown it now into an international tech firm that serves the consulting industry. And politics was never really on my radar. I'm thrilled to be in the business community. I love investing in real estate. These are things that I'm passionate about. And as you probably know, there's really no end in sight for it. There's always something interesting interesting on the horizon, another deal to be done, another company to be purchased, another investment to be had. But I really took a pause during the early days of COVID, looked at the leadership at the top in Sacramento and said, I think we're headed for major trouble in our state. And it was the first time that I did that, first time that I really took the chance to look at what was happening in our laws and our regulation in California. And the closer that I got, the more concerned I became. And that's really what led me into an investigation of the race for governor and ultimately to run. Got it. And so here we are, sort of in the beginning stages of the thick of it, I'll call it, an interesting time after the recall. And so now we're trying, I'm going to call it, we're coming out of COVID. And now we really got to look forward. And we have a whole host of issues exclusive from what happened with COVID looking ahead in terms of interest rate rising, cost of homes, supply chain, all kinds of stuff. What do you think are some of the key issues 
in this election and that face the state that you're focused on with, with what you're dealing with? Absolutely. So I looked at the data from the recall and I was really fascinated by one key point. The number one correlated factor for whether somebody voted yes or no on the recall, yes, was to remove Newsom, no, was to keep him in office, was their belief about the economy of California. And if you believe that the economy was in danger, you voted yes on the recall. If you believe that the economy was fine, you voted no on the recall. And that was really before a lot of what we have now today in our everyday news and our vernacular was becoming commonplace. We didn't really talk about inflation in September 2021. We weren't really discussing supply chain shortages. We weren't talking about wage hikes and issues with labor shortages. We were really just facing COVID at the time. And so now we are looking forward and we have this major economic change that is affecting especially middle class Californians, as well as everyone who goes to the pump, which is most of us, everybody who is affected by wage hikes, which is every business owner. right? And so this is having a rippling effect and it's going to really change the game for us in November. Yeah. And let's start with, I guess, trying to break it down a little bit, talk about employment or unemployment or lack of employment or lack of personnel for employment, all of it. I mean, you rewind a year ago and we had probably one of the highest uh, unemployment rates of any state in the country. I think we were number two at one point. That's right. And now you can't find people to work. Correct. Some people don't want to work or people are just jumping ship for a different, better, closer to home job or whatever the case is. Or they're leaving the state. We've we've lost 1% of our population. That's a material part of our workforce. Yeah. And so as a small business owner myself, I struggle with these issues on a daily basis. I talk to other business owners and everybody's saying the same thing, which is tough to find good help in this environment. And then to me, it seems like that then stifles growth. Absolutely. When we can't find workers and, you know, I've gotten to the bottom of some of why that is, as I've talked to business owners across the state, then we're not able to produce goods and services. It slows everything down and it has a compounding effect. So the issues with labor really touch all of us, whether we're just consumers or whether we're producers as well. Well, I spoke with somebody yesterday at one of the banks we deal with and they said, oh, we think that the whole labor issue is going to level itself out and that labor will be more readily available to employers going forward. And then I asked the question, how? I guess I'll ask the question to you, how how does that go? I mean, we've got bad news, right? We have to produce less, consume less, which usually means a recession. And I I don't think that anybody in leadership is thinking like this or preparing for it. But if we're going to slow down the overheated labor market, we're going to see interest rates rise. We're going to see people slow down their investment. And when we're going to be producing and consuming less in the process. And it's part of what happens when we overheat an economy with the very low interest rates combined with the excessive stimulus that we've seen. And I remember sitting down with somebody the first six weeks of COVID. He asked me, do you think we're going to have inflation based on what's happening with government spending? And I I said, look, the inflation equation is actually, unfortunately, very simple. And if we have stimulus, if we have low interest rates, which are part of the environment for the last two years, we're going to have an increase in demand and inability to fulfill it. And we're going to have to have inflation to correct. Yeah. And and now that's what you have. It's exactly what we have. And so what you see today is a ripple effect. So gas costs more, goods costs more, rent costs more. With higher interest rates, my mortgage could go up. And I get it all the way across the board. That's right. Yet people are still spending because they have pent up desire or demand to travel or to buy things, or they have increased wages themselves. And I think then they have 
have a, a sense of, hey, I have more money, so I'm going to go spend some more. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what keeps our economy going. The ability to spend that we have in America is really unparalleled anywhere else in the world. In college, I studied microfinance. And one of the things that you recognize really early is that access to credit in some form, sometimes it's consumer credit, sometimes it's credit for a home, enables you to buy something. And one of my friends came home from an internship in Bangladesh. And he said, America is amazing because we have the ability to buy something before we're able to pay for it. And uh, our our ability to do that is what keeps our economy going. But obviously, if we overextend that, then we run into problems later down the road. And do you think that the prospect of the supply chain issues getting solved, at least to some degree, will then cause more output of goods, which will then ease some of the price inflation on those goods that we have? And how do we in California deal with that or benefit from that? Yeah, I mean, let's bring it down just to a basic issue. If you're buying a car, which I did recently, <laughs> you're, you're buying a car. If you can't get a car because it's not sitting on the lot because there aren't enough that are being produced, what the dealerships are doing right now is that they're adding a surcharge, ten or $15,000 on top of a car. I mean, that's a, for many cars, 20, 30, even 40% increase yeah. on the price of an automobile. And so your inability to purchase it puts you in competition, greater competition with other people, which raises the price, just going back to basic economics. Correct. And so if we, if we, you know, slim that out, if we kind of make sure that the supply chain is back to normal, more streamlined, if we do that by adding labor at our ports, by increasing the efficiency with the use of technology to get goods and services where they need to go by increasing onshoring again. So we have a very complicated supply chain system. We're seeing some of the breakdowns of that right now. Then, yeah, we would absolutely see prices decrease because we'd be able to more rapidly match demand with supply. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing is a more pragmatic business approach if you're governor to how the state runs and operates as opposed to shooting from the hip. We've been run by somebody who really doesn't understand the basics of economics or worse, if he does, then he's maliciously trying to destroy the economy of California. So, so, yes, my approach is very common sense, very, very basic, very grounded in economic principles, and it's long ranging. It's not a band aid today to score political points that will sell us down the river tomorrow. And I think that both of those are really what's needed. We need an adult in the room in Sacramento. We don't have one right now. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And so let's talk about some of the other issues that affect the state. And then, you know, we talk about them here in Orange County as well. We've had, talked uh, with mayors from some of the cities on previous shows, and there is a mandate from Sacramento to try and deal with the homeless situation and try and create more affordable housing, create more homeless shelters. It appears to me that they have sort of passed the responsibility and the pressure to the individual counties and cities to try and help solve those things. And how do you do that other than to just throw money at it? And sometimes that doesn't even solve it, it seems like. You know, under Gavin Newsom, we've gone from spending $2, million, two, sorry, $2 billion on homelessness to $12 billion. And you can see the result of it. We have more homeless. So it's clearly not working. I mean, that should be a really basic management metric. Anyone who runs that kind of management process anywhere in the private sector, heads roll, right? You you don't get to stay in your office if that's exactly what happens. So the spending of money is really focused right now on a creation of permanent housing, free permanent housing, which is a burden to the taxpayer forever. 
problem isn't actually solve the root cause of homelessness. The root cause of homelessness isn't a housing shortage. The root cause of homelessness is, in almost 90% of cases, mental health or drug abuse. Neither one of those areas have we added capacity in the state. So again, having a problem solver versus a politician in office would be able to address these issues. And I've traveled up and down the state and I've looked for solutions. And the good news is that we have them. They're already working under our crazy laws in California. You can see them in Bakersfield and Fresno, cities that have what we call functional zero homelessness, which means that people are not living on the streets for long periods of time. Sometimes there are transitional homeless that are going through a period of their life, but but they're able to seek treatment. The states and the cities understand who those people are by name, and they match them with services and solutions. We've seen another solution in San Francisco that's incredibly encouraging. It's temporary housing on entitled land, and it's FEMA emergency housing. So it's two FEMA standards, but it's individual units. Some people would call them tiny homes. That's not how I would describe them. They're building them here too. But basically they're built on either state-owned or city-owned or private land that is in the entitlement process for a maximum of one to two years. They're gated, which for me was a remarkable insight because a lot of the homeless communities aren't. And uh, they're providing services through community partners in these places. That brings the cost of transitional housing from Newsom's permanent housing price of about $800,000 a person down to $15,000 a year. Hmm. which is a major cost savings. And it also addresses the real issue, which is that if somebody is having a hard time getting treatment or a job, they're in a safe place. They can do that. Um, But it's not creating a permanent long-term solution to disincentivize people to actually get the help that they need. There are federal funds available to the states. Is there money already set aside in the budget in Sacramento? Or is does really the, it seems like the burden has been shifted to the individual taxpayer to pay for it. Well, it's great. You know, the housing piece, yes, that's a Sacramento responsibility. So if we want to house in whatever way we want to house, that's something that happens in Sacramento. There are clearly nonprofit partners that can help with some of that. And that's how it's handled in many states. But really, the key issue that I think you're talking about here is around all that programmatic spending. And every dollar that Newsom gets that's extra, quote, I would call say, quote unquote, extra, because it's really just coming out of the pockets of Californians. But right. it's a surplus above what he budgets for. He puts into programs, not infrastructure or long term solutions. And some of those government programs that already exist are on top of this spending. You know, we have Section 8 housing, which is used in some of the cities to put people into the kind of permanent housing that we're talking about. Uh, We have, you know, the healthcare expenses that are shared by the federal government, often under Medicaid or Medicare, depending on people's eligibility. If they're veterans, they have access to federal funding. And that's one of the solutions that Fresno and Bakersfield have done an amazing job of figuring out. They actually know who the people are. Who are on the street. So instead of just funding these offices with bureaucrats sitting in them pushing paper, they have people out on the streets knowing the names of the people in the community and they know what services they're eligible for. So they're able to match them with those services more effectively. Yeah. And some of the mayors that we've had in here have talked about building treatment facilities mm-hmm. as a priority as opposed to taking an old beat up motel and trying to put some lipstick on it and, and create housing. Permanent housing, again, that continues to incentivize more homelessness, right? We have a 50% increase in homelessness in California, and 51% of the unsheltered homeless are in California today. So, yeah, yeah, they're exactly right. So let's shift gears for a second to crime. Another happy topic. Yes. (laughs) Joy of all joys. We're going to get to some positive topics, but we'll get through (laughs) the ugly ones first. But crime is up. Obviously, all the drama of uh, defunding the police and decreasing services and shifting money away from law enforcement. 
assessment. I, I think here in Orange County, the consensus of all the folks that we've talked to is that's just simply not the case, and it's a false narrative. And then the question is, there must be something driving that from Sacramento. What's your view on that, and, and how do you look? Yeah, at we can pinpoint the exact moment when it started, when the crime rates began to increase in California. It was in 2015 with the passage of Prop 47. Prop 47 was called the Safe Neighborhood and Schools Act, and it does everything except for provide safety for our neighborhoods and schools. Interesting. And um, it really began the dismantling of our criminal justice system as we know it. It changed the limits for what is now breaking the law. Um, it makes it so that prisoners are required to be released from prison if we have capacity issues. So what has Gavin Newsom done? He hasn't added capacity to our prisons. He's diminished it. He's closed prisons. He's emptied out our juvenile detention centers, which are focused on rehabilitation and work process, and moved our juveniles into maximum security prisons. Mm. This is not the recipe for a safe society. And he's done it all while he's had a surplus. There has been absolutely no budgetary reason why we should be defunding not just police, but the criminal justice system in its entirety. And so we can see that that started in 2015 when Newsom was lieutenant governor, and then AB 109 came in after that. And those two laws together have worked to basically hamstring our police force from arresting and keeping criminals in jail. They continue to release them to the streets. And that repetitive cycle is not just creating more crime in our streets, but it's the same people that are the criminals that are out there Doing committing the same crimes. And that's driving our law enforcement registration numbers down. People are not going into law enforcement because why would you? What a crazy job to have to catch and release the same criminals every day of your work. I mean, that's just insane. And as a criminal, if you knew that the penalty was that you got released or not that great, there's there's not a disincentive to be a criminal. Not at all. And, and from a law enforcement perspective, if I'm spending my time dealing with the homeless issue and I'm spending my time dealing with catching people that are ultimately going to get released, how am I able to focus on the real things that provide safety in the community? That's right. You know, one of uh, Newsom's favorite words is the word reimagine. So I've co-opted that for my campaign. I talk about reimagining public safety. And it really just is returning to public safety, which means that if you commit a crime, then you have to do the time. But what we can do in California is think beyond what we've done before. And this is something that Newsom just has never done. He's closed two of the most active workforce release prisons in California. Both of them serve the Cal Fire fire crews. 650 inmates that have served on those fire crews will no longer be available to serve in wildfires in California because of Newsom's policies. But what if we actually had not just wildfire, but construction? and trades? What if we had coding? Um, people that are exiting their time in prison with an actual skill that enables them to make the same that they had selling drugs on the street or committing other crimes. doesn't work for everybody, but it will work for many. And we need to rethink in a California way the way that we do criminal justice. His way has been to dismantle it. Mine is to rebuild it in a new way. Seems pretty practical. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It, we'll, we'll see if people want practical, I guess, when it comes to November. That is true. And so I guess, you know, from a standpoint of when people go to the polls yeah. in November, so people that are hardcore Democrats or hardcore Republicans will typically just vote with the party, whoever that is. But to me, there's a lot of people out there that I talk to, even here in Orange County, where the demographic has changed, who aren't so much concerned about the party as they are about the person. That's right. Uh, and what they stand for or how they think they're going to guide the state and then ultimately how does that affect me 
as the individual who's voting for you at the end of the day. Correct. Right? What are you going to do for me? Right? And how's it going to make my That's life? That's right. Better? It's a fair question. The it, government's it supposed to work for the people. So. Right. so so no different when an employee asks their boss, hey, if I come to work here, what do I get out of it? I know I'll help make your company better. And so it has to work both That's ways. Right. So I guess I ask the question, if somebody is undecided, if somebody is unaffiliated, what's the logic and why vote for for you at the yeah. end of the day. Well, just a, another stat, right? The four most popular governors in America are business people who are Republicans in blue states. So they're going to vote for a business person because they're not looking for a politician. So I think that's the first thing. They're looking for authenticity. And we see that in the data from everywhere else in the country. People that leave their party and look for a person, they look for authenticity. But they also look for solutions that are going to make a difference. And my three are this. Number one, we need to return to safe communities. And we just talked about that. And crime is the number one polled issue across parties. Mm -hmm. People want a solution for crime. And Newsom is not solving that solution for them. The second is that they want a solution for housing and homelessness. And housing unaffordability is not just tied to homelessness, but they're interrelated in a way that we have to make sure we understand is Sacramento's fault. Because not building in California reduces supply, the demand continues to go up for housing, and then we have these unaffordable house prices. The third piece is really infrastructure and business friendliness. And if people are frustrated by water shortages, by the increase in wildfire, uh, by power turnoffs, and by the issues that we've already talked about in the business climate in California, every single one of those is touched by Sacramento as well. And, you know, when I was just a suburban dweller number of years ago, I didn't pay attention to what Sacramento was doing with these issues. I just thought it was the California way. The California way was more expensive and more challenging, but I didn't understand directly how that affected it. And I think that, like I mentioned before, when people recognize that your gas prices in California are higher than the nation's, and that's Sacramento's fault. Yeah, by a lot. I mean, it's not even close. Yeah, that your house prices are higher than the nation's, and that's Sacramento's fault. That your energy bill is higher than anyone else in the nation. That's also Sacramento's fault. The role of government is to provide these public goods and services for the people, and we're not doing it now. So what people are hungry for on top of authenticity is solutions that will affect their everyday life. I can provide this. And as a business person, one does feed to the other, right? If I invest in infrastructure, I create jobs. That's right. Right? I mean, these, these are logical things that one thing helps solve the other. That's right. Direct the money in the right place. And Newsom's plan right now seems to be to reduce our population. And population decline is the root of all failing economies. It's every place that I've ever been that has C-rated bonds and 15% interest rates. It's because their population is declining. They're uninvested. People are lacking interest in creating the future there. We need people to want to create the future in California. And just, you know, to layer on top of all the practical solutions that we're talking about, that's really what it comes down to. Is there optimism or pessimism about the future? And I think under Newsom, people have pessimism. What we have to provide for them is the optimism. Yeah. And let's hope people look at the pragmatic side of things and vote that way as opposed to, uh, you know, hey, I don't really care and I'll just go with whoever's in there still. Well, it was encouraging to me to discover that 24% of our state is actually registered no party preference. So not only are do they not vote with the party, but they actually aren't even in a party in the first place. So that really does speak to the fact that that middle is incredibly crucial. What that means is that for only 46% of the state is 
Democrat. And we're hearing from all over the state Democrats that are willing, not for a social warrior, right? They're not looking for somebody who is totally in their mind unappealing on social issues, but they're looking for somebody who will solve problems. And I think that we're ready for that moment in California. Got it. Let's uh, talk real estate for a quick minute. We Let's don't go. have a lot of time. We could go all day. So all of these things relate back to Everything. the real estate market, right? And so uh, you have rising interest rates. That is going to make the cost of buying a home or my monthly mortgage payment just go up. Absolutely. And for those that are in the lower and middle class or first-time home buyers, it just pushes the goal line, in my opinion, a little bit further. Sure does. Right? Your dollar doesn't go as far. And then what happens is if I decide not to buy because I'm going to wait, maybe interest rates will go down. Maybe the market will cool. All of these, maybe supply will get better. What do I do? I wind up renting. And then what happens is it drives the rental market up, which then I just pay more in rent. That's right. Homeownership is at an all-time low in California today. And many of the people that are being priced out of the market are our Hispanic community and first-time homebuyers, like you mentioned. And so we're creating not just problems in the home buying market, but actually problems of equity and problems of access to the California dream. The California dream is predicated on being able to buy a house that right. you can afford forward. And, and renting creates a lack of stability. It doesn't mean that you're locked into your community. It, it challenges us in a lot of different ways. But really, at the fundamental basis of it, we have to return to a place where home, home ownership is accessible to everyone. There's no magic button to push. I wish there was. But the idea that the economy writes itself a little bit and there's more stability, it, we've talked about it on other shows, there's still an issue of supply and That's demand exactly at the right. end of the day, right? You, you cannot deviate from the simple concept is if there's not that many homes, prices will just run That's up. Right. And so you've got to make it either easier for builders to build homes or provide alternative types of housing or tax credits or f easier financing or something. to Or all of the above, yeah. potentially. Yeah. When I look at how to solve problems like this, I look for where it's working. And I always look at California first. It, sometimes you can't find it in California, but uh, we can just look at Placer County. Placer County in California is growing, um, has a growth-friendly board of supervisors. They're doing a great job of streamlining permitting. And they're not doing anything that is of any kind of increased environmental impact. They're following all the laws. They just have changed the bureaucracy for how things get done. And they're able to build more. And we can take that model and we can use that in other places in California as well. Better management will lead us to more supply and to better house prices as a result. And in the short term, what's your perspective in terms of where we are with the interest rate market, the stock market, the inflation, at least as we sit today through the end of the year, where do you see it going and do we see any major changes uh, in the short term? Yeah. So uh, if I were in office today, we would make changes. I would suspend the gas tax in California and that's a very large portion of many people's income that they're spending on gas prices. It's large portion for small businesses of their fleet costs as well. I could have 51 cents on the dollar back in the pockets of Californians. And I could increase the supply tomorrow as well by permitting local supply. We used to produce 95% of California's oil in California. Uh, today, we use about the same amount of oil per person, but we actually import 65% of that oil. And uh, guess where it comes from? Saudi, yeah. comes from Russia. <laughs>
comes from places that we probably don't really want to be buying oil. And it is actually increasing the total emissions of that oil. And so the narrative around what we're doing on energy is really hurting our economy at the same time. So I'm so pro-environment. I I just can't even help myself. I love hiking. In fact, during COVID, my kids and I left the Zoom calls on Thursdays and did hiking Thursdays out in the wilderness. It was one of our favorite parts of it. So I, I care really deeply about the environment. But this is one of the ways that the narrative has not matched up with action and we need to make sure that we would make changes. But up until the end of the year, because I'm not in office, we have some limitations for for what we expect will happen. What could be done is very much, but what will happen is probably very little. And I think we'll continue to see some of that pain and the constriction unless our leaders really make a decision that they want to serve the people of California. And do you think the same concept applies back in Washington? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, what we're seeing uh, with, with ports could be alleviated. Um, what we're seeing uh, with the supply chain could absolutely be solved. We could, the amount of spending that we're doing on the programs that are coming out of Washington are challenging. And we do need to have, you know, rising interest rates to kind of slow down what's happening in the inflationary market. So I do expect that we'll see some kind of continued corrections and changes along those lines. But I think it's also a balancing act just because you have rising interest rates doesn't mean all the rest of the stuff goes unnoticed or unattended. Not at all. Yeah. And like you, like you mentioned, we have some pent up uh, supply. We have some pent up cash people are spending and we also have pent up demand, things that we haven't done for a while that we might want to go do. And so some of those challenges are going to you know, lead to further constraints in the market. But could something be done about it? Absolutely. Yeah. And so kind of in summary, we just have a, a quick minute left. But what I'm hearing is pragmatic approach business sense uh, applied to the overall economy of how the state goes and try and deal with uh, each of the individual issues one at a time and hopefully uh, together they come together for an overall. That's plan. right. You know, it's really simple. As a business leader, the great ideas are definitely a part of it, but culture and core values are ultimately at the heart of everything. And I think just a couple of changing guiding core values would make a big difference in California. If we focus on what's good for California now and in the long run, what's good for our families and what's good for businesses, we can make a lot of changes here that are really effective. Yeah. And I think part of that is also getting the word out to the average person who ultimately goes to the poll in November. So hopefully today we've done that. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your thoughts and input. It's uh, it's interesting to talk about uh, the politics side of it, but it's also interesting to hear how it actually affects the average person on a day-to-day basis. That's exactly right. Yeah, if you're listening and you want to learn more about me, you can go to Jenny Ray, C-A, J-E-N-N-Y, R-A-E-C-A dot com. You can also use that same handle, Jenny Ray C-A, at all of the social media channels, including TikTok. Good. That was my next question is how do people reach you? Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Jenny Ray LaRue, best of luck to you in the upcoming elections and primaries and all of those things. And um, I appreciate your input and agree with your philosophy and wish you all the best of luck to you and your family and your campaign. Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to better things in California. Yes, me too. And so for all of us here at OC Talk Radio, I want to thank uh, Paul Roberts and the whole team. I want to thank our producer, Sophia. I want to thank all of our listeners and viewers out there. A great week to you guys. Tune in next week. We will see you for more real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company, managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties, and thanks for tuning in.
there you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studio here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center. 